All right. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, it's already been a joy to sing with you and church family. I just, I love Sundays. I love being with my church family. Uh, every time we're praying at night, getting ready for this day with my kiddos, we're like, Lord, thank you for a great time this week with our family, but we can't wait to be with our church family. And so this morning already in our Sunday studies, it's been a good conversation. And then if you're visiting with us, we're certainly glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we are in a series in the book of Amos. We make it a regular habit around here to just grab a book of the Bible and then spend time walking through that book. Now, the beauty of Amos is myself and several other men uh, who are glutton for punishment have agreed to meet with me uh, every Friday morning since January, and we're still meeting 5.30 in the morning, and we've been working through this book just to be sure that we're grabbing hold of everything that is in this. And we have already been blessed with that time, and I'll have to say we've already been um, encouraged, or maybe I should say convicted in our own hearts during that time together. And so this morning, uh, I trust the Lord will work, and we have been excited about this time together, but we are just going to spend some time in the book of Amos for the next couple of months. Now, if you're visiting with us, or you weren't here last week, or if you're like me, you forgot what I said last week, let me just get us up to speed as we dive into uh, today's particular text. Um, last week, we began our journey in the book of Amos by seeing a, a couple important details that are worth remembering this morning. Some of those details were, who's delivering this message? Well, we learned about Amos, and come to find out, he's just a normal, simple guy called out to deliver a message for God. Uh, we discussed the current situation that God's people are in. Anyone remember? They are in a divided kingdom. We talked a little bit about how that occurred and how it happened, but at the end of the day, pride, arrogance, sin divided God's people into a northern and southern kingdom. And we also learned, well, who is receiving this message? Who is Amos going to speak God's word to? Well, we learned it's the northern kingdom, which is Israel. We also learned that King Jeroboam the second is king right now uh, in their midst. But those are great details, and some of you love all of that, but I want to be very, very clear. What is what was most clear with our time last week, and it'll be clear today, is though Amos is going to do the prophesying, it is the Lord who is speaking. We learn, though Israel is not seeking him, well, guess what? They are going to hear him. They are going to hear him Clearly, And this morning, we will begin to hear the Lord roar as we unpack God's view of their actions and attitudes. Why do I highlight God's view? As we observed last week, if you look at history, Israel is experiencing some of its biggest splendor during this time frame. So on the surface, you might look and say, wow, look at them. Well... This is not God's view of what they are doing and their attitude. So we're going to learn that part of what prophecy does is to make it clear how God views certain situations. Now, as we unpack the section for this morning, let me just kind of prep us for this moment and just saying a couple of things. We are going to cover a large section. So last week I said, hey, don't worry. I know we're only doing two verses. Well, this week... We're doing a bunch, all right? We're going to do chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to work our way all the way down to chapter 2, verse 16. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the entire section. I'm going to highlight, but I'm going to draw us into what Amos is doing or how the Lord is using him. Now, we need to take this section in this large chunk because if we do not, I don't think we're going to see clearly how Amos, through the leading of God, how he is calling Israel, how he is calling them into account. It's rather interesting, strategic, and effective. His prophecy begins a little bit different than you would expect. We learned last week he's to go up to the northern kingdom. And what we get out of the gate in verse 3 and following is that he speaks 
to a host of foreign nations. It's not what I'm expecting. I'm expecting the very next, thus says the Lord, he would dive headlong in to dealing with the northern kingdom. But for quite a few verses, he addresses foreign nations. Now, let's look at the first three verses, three, four, and five. This will serve as a backdrop and kind of as an example of how he deals with all of these nations. But it's up on the screen, or you can turn to your Bibles as well. I will do the best I can with these names. Uh, Don't ask a good southern boy from Tennessee to pronounce biblical names. I will do the best I can. But you're going to get a sense by how he deals with Damascus of how he deals with these other nations, okay? So here is, notice uh, a pattern that develops, all right? Verse 3, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have uh, thresh-shed Gilead with threshing sleds of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter from Beth-Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile and care, says the Lord. So this first oracle, or this first prophecy of Amos, it offers us a little bit of a a pattern in how Amos deals. It gives us several things that we can observe about really all the oracles of this section. Now, if you want to know, there are eight prophecies in total in this section. The first six of them, I'm not kidding, the first six are towards foreign nations. The last two are towards Judah and Israel. This is God's people. Sits to foreign nations, two to God's people. That's that's how these prophecies break up. But what this first one does for us reveals several patterns. If you go down to the very next one, starting in sits, we'll see it start the same way. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke my punishment. And this repeats over and over again. So let's notice a couple of similarities that are going to reveal some patterns. And then we're going to answer the question you may be thinking. Why in the world does the Lord concern himself with foreign nations? Isn't the book of Amos a prophecy to God's people? Yes, it is. But each of these oracles, actually all eight of them, they begin with an important phrase. Thus says the Lord. If you have forgotten who is speaking... Though Amos is eloquently delivering these words, he, each oracle begins, thus says the Lord. Look beyond me and hear what the Lord is saying. This constant reminder is to remind them, don't shoot the messenger. Let us be clear where this assessment is coming from. It is coming from the Lord himself. Eight oracles, eight thus says the Lord. The second thing we see is this three-four statement. Did you catch that? For three transgressions of Gaza or Damascus, insert whatever name, and for four We see this pattern developed in each of these oracles of this 3-4 statement. These 3-4 statements are about their sinful behaviors, and these 3-4 statements leads to the punishment that God makes clear that he will not revoke. That's the consistent pattern as he deals with each of them. After he does that 3-4, I'm not going to revoke my punishment, then we finally get a description of the transgressions. We finally get some clarity on the sinful behavior. Now, what we learn is the three, four is not going to deal with three and then give us a fourth, but then he moves into some of the sinful behaviors, and then that leads and each one ends 
was a description of what the punishment will be. Thus says the Lord, 3-4, I'm not going to revoke the punishment. Here is what you're doing, and here is what I will do. Each one, though there are two and three verses, each one develops this entire system and pattern. Now, what is this for? Well, this pattern is to put all the offenders in the same boat. I don't care who you are. Three, four, not going to revoke my punishment. Here's what you're doing. Here's what I'm going to do. It kind of puts all these offenders into the same boat. And in doing this, it almost clearly identifies the problem. And it communicates just how bad things have gotten. You see, you may be wondering, that what is this odd 3-4 pattern? Well, this serves as a way to say there is much to be leveraged against all these nations. Amos is almost saying there is more than enough transgressions to point at. It's kind of like us using the phrase similar, we may say, to add injury to insult or to top it all off. Or we may say, but should I keep going? Or do you want the short list or the long list? This 3-4 is kind of doing what those phrases do. What are those phrases doing? They're indicating there is much offense that has happened. And this is what Amos is doing. He's indicating that there is more than enough evidence of their wrongs, of their sin, of their transgressions. Need I go on? Three things, four, I can go to five, maybe six and seven and and eight. You see, what we need to understand and what Amos is clearly doing through the leading of God is to say that none of these nations are being wrongly accused. Oh, it is clear. Oh, they did this, they did this, and to top it all off, they did this. They are not being wrongly accused. The Lord is not just sitting up in heaven looking for someone to just pour out on. It is clear that there is much to be addressed in all of these nations. That's what that pattern is doing. Well, there's another repeated phrase, and it's found in the final punishment statement of all these oracles. Here's what it says. That all strongholds will be devoured. That may not say it in that phrase of the word, but it says devour all the strongholds, is maybe how your translation is. But nonetheless, all the punishments, though they are specific, they end with this final comprehensive statement. Hey, by the way, all the strongholds will be devoured, consumed, done away with. Insert whatever word helps you understand devoured. (laughs) This means that all of these nations, everything that they cling to for their strength, their pride, what they trust in, what has drawn them away, all of that will be devoured. All that you thought was wonderful and worthy of all your affection and attention, will be devoured, consumed, done away with. This repetition hits at the heart of what is happening here. In doing this, and all the strongholds being devoured, in doing this, there will be no doubt just how powerful the roar of the Lord is. And doing that, it will be plain who the one true God is. You see, there's another pattern with the first six that's a little different than the last two. The last two being against God's people. The first six, all these foreign nations, all of their offenses kind of hit at Uh, that their offenses are against people outside their particular nation. Where Judah and Israel, all of their offenses are against one another. 
And in turn, we're going to see so clearly a grave offense to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so with that backdrop and with, those, with that repetition building and giving us some clarity of what is happening, you might be wondering, and if you're not, I'm going to cause you to wonder, because it was the first question I had, why all these foreign nations? Amos is the southern boy from the southern kingdom who's headed up to the northern kingdom, which is also God's people to declare to them God's word in view of their current state. And he begins with six other foreign nations. Can you see those in Israel, what they might be doing? Okay, yeah. Bring it, Amos. Bring it, bring it. Perhaps that's how they're feeling. But for you and I, we wonder, how, how can God expect them to act right Well, if you spend any amount of time in the prophets, and I know you do, you probably spend all of your time studying the prophets all day long. If you were to do that, you would understand it's actually not uncommon for the Lord to speak to foreign nations. Now, Amos is a a bigger section than most, but it's not an uncommon thing for the Lord to do, to speak at foreign nations and to say, I see you, I see you. And in doing that, the Lord is saying, I'm not oblivious (laughs) to what is happening. And come to find out, the Lord is clear that he will also hold them accountable for the rejection of him. You see, God is using Amos to speak to these nations to indicate that all will be held accountable in the courtroom of God. It seems no one escapes the judgment of God. Apparently, his eyes are very big. And apparently, his ears are tuned in to all that is occurring. Let us not forget, the Lord knows everything across this world better than you and I. And come to find out, he will hold that's accountable. You see, we often forget that the justice of God is way better than yours. He sees, he understands, and through Amos, he's going, hey, by the way, the Lord sees, and in time. You see, it, it, it must be, and this might be a newsflash for some of you, but it seems that one cannot do whatever he or she wants. Huh. Come to find out, we just simply cannot do whatever we aunt. Because, or aunt, want, that's what I meant to say. Aunt, want? I don't know. We can't do whatever we want. And these other nations, the Lord observes. And see, the sins committed by those nations are, are grievous. They are hideous. They're, they're unthinkable. And God is going to bring justice. Don't you worry. The Lord sees. The Lord will respond. He will bring justice to these situations. I I dare you. Take some time this afternoon. Read through the section. See the offenses. It runs the whole gamut of evil actions. Stuff from burning to lime the bones of people. Burning them so much that even their bones are consumed to dust. All the way from burning these bones to ripping open pregnant women. It's even hard to say that. That is gruesome. That is evil. And someone better say something. And oh, someone does. And someone will. Yeah, these are terrible things. And part of what Amos is doing is that God will indeed set right the evils of the world. He's not oblivious. He's not clueless. But there's other reasons the Lord declares all these oracles against all these nations. I think he's doing this, and I think what Amos is drawing them into is to remind everyone that God indeed is sovereign over all. 
This is a theme in prophecy to make plain. And in doing this, it lays bare that God is indeed sovereign over all. And because of his sovereignty, he has every right to judge all peoples. Because he sees clearly who they are, he sees clearly their actions, he knows their hearts, and he indeed is sovereign. He's the one who is able to do that. Declaring these other oracles puts him alone as the one true God. How is that clear? Because when all their strongholds are devoured, there will stand God as the one strong person, the one strong God above all other gods. See, this will also serve in a way that when others look back on the destruction of Israel, it's going to be really clear that the destruction of Israel wasn't due to foreign nations. It wasn't due that the foreign gods were so powerful. Why? Because even those nations perish at the hands of Almighty God. Oh, look back, study history, and let it be plain. Israel did not experience their miseries because other gods were more powerful. That other nations slipped through the cracks of God's slippery fingers. No, here there's declarations of what will happen to them as well. But there's one more thing. There's one more thing here that I think the Lord is doing. Now, to show this, we don't do this often, but I'm going to put a map on the screen to show the full effect of what God is doing. Now, I have a, ooh, look at that, huh? A little pointer. This is a divided kingdom. For some of you, even from here, you can't, I can barely read those words. Don't worry, we're going somewhere. So here is the divided kingdom. This line's the divided kingdom. Here is Israel, and then here is Judah, and then all the surrounding nations, okay? So this is the landscape. Damascus, the first one's way up there. Gaza comes all the way back down here. Tyre, and it just kind of bumps back and forth, okay? So that's the landscape of what is happening. Now, uh, God's people were supposed to be all together, but now they're divided, all right? That's the landscape. Now, to get the full effect of what I think the Lord is doing and how he's using Amos, check out this next slide. There it is. Look at what is happening. If you track all of these, look what's happening. Here's the first shot. Oh, we're good. Here's the second shot. Oh, yeah, they are evil down there. They sure are. Here's the third shot. Oh, yeah, go up there. Absolutely, they're terrible people. Here's the fourth shot. Oh, yeah, way down there. I can't stand those folks. They are so bad. Fifth shot. Well, that's a little closer to home, but okay, yeah. They are terrible. Here's the sixth shot. Seventh, we're getting closer to home. Only to land. Right there. Here Amos is in the face of Israel and they don't even know it. Who knows the pride welling up in their hearts when they hear Amos declare all this stuff about foreign nations. You're right, Amos. They do deserve that. Woohoo! And little do they know the Lord is just circling around. Bullseye is a coming. And then it hits. By the way, Amos delivers his message. You see what the Lord is doing? He's slowly drawing in Israel. And as he draws them in, he lands the most staggering point. You are no better. Matter of fact, you are the worst offenders. Oh, my aim wasn't off. <laughs> I'm just circling around to make a point. Here is the roughest of neighborhoods, this area. And there in the center sits the worst of them all. They look no different. Though called out by God and cared for by God, They've not shown any resemblance of following God. 
Notice even in the delivery, the Lord is making plain, there is much for you to think about, O people of God. Now, we could spend hours unpacking all those foreign nations, and, and, and if the Lord allows me to be here 20 years, perhaps we'll come back and we'll visit it. But for this morning, I want you to see the weight of what Amos is doing. See the pride welling up in God's people. Oh, all right, who's next, Amos? Oh, yeah, head over to Edom. Oh, they're terrible. Oh, go to the coast. They're terrible. <gasps> what else? Whoa. The Lord is drawing in, and he's zeroing in on Israel as the bullseye of Amos' prophecy. You see, God's people are front and center, and they find themselves in the crosshairs of God. Let's take a few moments and just see Judah and Israel. Judah is finally picked up in chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. We provided it up on the screen so you can see that, but you can follow along in your Bibles. Thus says the Lord in verse 4, Here's the pattern again for three transgressions of Judah and for four. You're not left out the same pattern to all the four nations. Do you get it? You're no different. I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord. Well, this is different than the rest. And have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Yes, this is a book about Israel. But oh, be clear, Judah, just because Israel finds itself in the crosshair, there's a shot fired to warn them as well. Oh, don't you dare forget all that you are to be. Judah gets the same treatment. It's bad. The Lord will punish but notice what their greatest offense is, rejection of the law of the Lord. They did not keep the statues, and in doing that, they led people astray. Amos is also serving as a wake-up call for Judah. But he reserves many verses for Israel. Let's pick up here, and in a summary way, look at what Israel is going to deal with. Verses 6 through 16, pick up the focus of the rest of the letter. By this time, he's primed the pump. You ever have one of those old weed eaters, and the winter months have gone, and you come out, and you have a little bubble? You got to push that bubble, and it pulls all the gas up, and it primes the pump, and then you're able to start it. Here, Amos has been priming the pump, and now Israel is ready to hear. In their pride, they are quickly knocked down. Let's look at verses 6 through 16. I'll read it in full. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, same treatment for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Same treatment, and now we get details. Because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth, and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Verse 9, Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before you, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was a straw, as strong as the oats. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. Verse 11, and I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? 
verse 12, but you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophet, saying, you shall not prophesy. Verse 13, behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand And he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. The Lord doesn't specifically say, devour your strongholds. For those who perceive to have strength will be done away with. Israel now finds itself in the bullseye of all the oracles, perhaps perhaps staggering and shocking to them to all of a sudden the shot is fired and it is hit square. Perhaps they're taken back. Perhaps they begin to notice, wait a second, Amos, you, you, you slow down, time out. You're, you're giving a lot more to us. Can't we just have two or three verses? Not that they had verses in those days. Here we find the longest section as Amos begins to pour out three, four, and plenty of more. Hey, that rhymed. You didn't even plan on that. Israel has a lot to hear. They have a ton to deal with. They are now hearing the roar of the Lord. The 11 verses containing uh, Amos' oracle to them just to help you with some handles, it breaks up rather nicely. Did you see the pockets of information? Verses 6 to 8, what is this? These are the gruesome details of the terrible transgressions of Israel. And then in verse 9 to 11, what does the Lord do? In his fatherly way, reminds them of his provisions. Verse 12 kind of stands by itself. And it moves back to some of their more grievous sinful actions. And then we get 13 through 16 that describe what the Lord will do. What we discover is that Israel, God's people, their transgressions are many. One clear picture of their sinfulness is the selling the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. This seems to be an indication of taking advantage of someone in a poor spot. Over small, insignificant trifles, they make money, and they heap greater hardships on others. What we see in this quick statement, and we're going to see clearly in many more, they are not providing any provisions. They are not working to alleviate the suffering and hardships. No, they are only inflicting greater misery upon the lives of, check this, their brothers and sisters. This is captured so well in the next statement. Did you hear the words, trample the poor? If that imagery doesn't work, it says, trample them into dust. Such advantage they turn to nothing. Those afflicted, they turn aside, turn their nose up. They've lost all interest in caring for others. They simply do not care. The words poor and afflicted to them mean money and extortion. What a change. All of this flies directly into the face of God. If you don't believe me, look at Exodus 23, 6 through 8. They command to not distort justice, to not use it for selfish gain. They are so far away, so far away from what God's people should look like. Oh, yeah, God's people should look like something, like they love God. And that love pours out in the way they treat others. They have gotten so far removed. Don't believe me? Go back to the Pentateuch. What is the Pentateuch? First five books of the Bible. 
These first five books were designed to do what? God, God's people in two things, relating to him, and you guessed it, relating to each other. We are going to see just how far they have strayed from the instructions of God. This is not new to them. How far have they strayed from God? Well, that's captured well in the next statement. Here's the most grotesque, if you will. A man and his father go into the same girl. Yes, that means exactly what you think it means. And in doing so, they profane the holy name of God. Side note for you, you're going to see that God's name is really important in this book. How we live is really important because it reflects on, on God. They, God's people, are participating in sexual sin that not only degrades God's good design, but it also profanes his name. Why is that? The surrounding cultures, they often participated in sexual sin to do one thing, appease their gods. God's people have walked so far away from God's good design, that now their sexual ethic is no different than those who reject God. And we know, trace it, that it's God's people who begin to say, wait a second, perhaps we can't do whatever we want sexually. It's the Lord who begins to teach and show. And now here, after all of God's good design being laid out, they have adopted a sexual ethic that is no different than those who reject God. And in doing so, they make a mockery of him. And in doing that and treating each other poorly, they make a mockery of each other. Oh, how far they have gotten. It makes you wonder, how? Well, keep coming back, because we're going to learn how. Here we're seeing the lion roar making plain where God's people are in his view. Oh, you're so um, splendid right now and have so much stuff, but underneath the surface, this is what is happening. God's people simply extort, take advantage, turn justice into gain, and then they sit around to add insult to injury, to top it all off. They sit around and enjoy the spoils of their sinful treatment of the poor, needy, and afflicted. All that they have gained, oh, let's just drink the wine. Let's enjoy the spoils. And all the while that they're doing this, they're completely forgetting about the provisions of the Lord. The Lord is so distant in their mind now. So though they do not seek God, they hear God. And one thing they hear from him in verses 9 to 11 is, hey, I have shown up. God reminds them of their provisions. His provision is seen in two very clear ways, deliverance and then God giving them prophets and Nazarites. You see, it's the Lord, God himself, who had delivered them many times. <laughs> Not just once or twice. Here, he specifically reminds them of his deliverance when the Lord delivered them from the Amorites, who were a strong people, way stronger than Israel. But the Lord defeated them to do what? To fulfill his promise of a promised land. They dwelled in Canaan, and that was the promised land the Lord had promised. So he defeats them. And he not only reminds them of that defeat and that deliverance, but he brings up the most obvious one. When they, God's people, found themselves enslaved by the Egyptians, it was God who heard and delivered them, brought them to that land, that he had previously caused them to possess from the Amorites, or would use to defeat them so they could have the land. This is one provision the Lord points to, points and moments to where the Lord has delivered them. The second way may not be as clear to you, but yet this is staggering to me. The second way we see God's provision and reminds them that you are not without fault is that God made a provision in giving them constant people who could do two things, remind them of truth and be examples of holiness. 
God loved them so much. He says, I'm going to call specific people out from among you to declare truth so you don't lose it, and to give you examples of holiness. The prophets, they brought words from God, just like Amos is doing. And the Nazarites, if you don't remember, they lived out holiness before God's people. They took a special vow of consecration to God. You can see it in number six. Why did they do this? Because they were set apart as examples, ones who pursued holiness. You want to know what it looks like to pursue holiness? Look at them. These two roles called out from among them would serve the people of God well. Why? Because it puts truth in front of them and shows them how to live holy lives. But do you know what God's people did, what Israel did with that provision? Well, the text says it. They did not listen. Shut up, prophets. Don't direct me to God's word. Don't tell me the truth. And then the other thing that they did, they had the audacity to force the Nazarites to break their vows. How ugly does it have to get to take someone who loves the Lord and then force them into sin because of your own sin? They caused them to sin. Oh, how bad it has gotten. Boy, doesn't misery love company? How miserable. As I studied that this week, I couldn't help but think of the scene in Matthew 4 where another holy one was tempted to sin. Does that put it in perspective, the actions of God's people? Tempting those who were to pursue holiness to sin and then forcing them to? Oh, how far they have gotten. Though they do not seek the Lord They hear him. The last few verses tell us, because of all of this, the Lord will take away all their pursuits. Those perceived as swift, strong, notice all those words, mighty, good at war, that's the bow and arrow, the bow. All of those perceived in that way will be humbled. Not only will they be humbled, let me put it this way. They will be flattened like an olive upon the pavement as a two-ton truck runs it over. They will indeed hear the Lord. What are we to make of this section of Amos? I trust that even as we have thought through this, perhaps the Lord is working in your own heart, and this becomes the most staggering reality you need to hear this morning. God's people must first start with themselves and their own hearts. Even by the structure, we could put the map back up there and say, the Lord is screaming, how have you neglected your own heart? How have you gotten so evil? Have you not stopped and evaluated who you are and what you are doing? You see, God's people are notorious for being able to see others see their sinful behavior, but oftentimes so oblivious to our own. See, we're good at deflecting, right? By looking at others, but yet never looking at ourselves. I don't know if this happens in your house, but it happens in mine, primarily me. I get confronted with something, and three things come in my mind of how I can explain it's not my fault. (laughs) Well, but this, and well, but this, but, but this, but then it's like, no, the target is on my heart. The, don't take a shot over here. And, and here, God's people have, and we look at it, and it's so far gone. And the Lord is saying, I must deal with you. You see, the book of Amos starts by zeroing in on the major problem. And guess what? It's not the surrounding culture. It's them. Yeah, they live in a rough neighborhood. But they have done nothing. Absolutely nothing. To show God. I mean, given the nature of the surrounding countries. And what we know at this time of history. And up to this point, all that has developed with God's people and the promises of God. 
Given all of that, we know clearly that it was supposed to be Israel and Judah together. (laughs) Not divided. That's the first problem. It was them together as God's people clinging to the promises of God, remaining faithful to God and his word. And in doing that, do you know what would have happened? They would have shed light on where salvation is found. Here you are in a rough neighborhood with no light. Matter of fact, you're divided. What do the surrounding countries think of that? Well, they're just like us. And perhaps we can take advantage of them. If they would have been what God had told them to be, that is plain through the text, they could have shown where the coming promises of God is found. They could have basically pointed people to a North Star, God's future deliverance. By this point, it has been clear, it has been laid out, promises have been told. It is clear that a king, prophet, human, someone is coming, and they could have pointed people that direction. That there is a long-awaited salvation that humanity desperately needs, And it's found in God. But here all they're doing is contributing to greater sin, greater rejection of God. How can it be? How can it be? How can these actions be who God's people are? Would you be devastated if there's an assessment about light in the desert church? How would it come back? What would it look like? What would be leveraged against us for the positive and for the negative? And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, if we're unwilling to do that work, let us shut the doors now. But let us be a people who are willing to look at ourselves, expose our heart and say, Lord, come work. Come move. Come help us in our disbelief. Come correct our disobedience. Isn't this what Peter said? Remember we were in 1 Peter? Remember that phrase that was kind of odd? But maybe it's more clear here. For it is time for judgment to begin where? At the household of God. We're going to make judgments on activities around us. I I think that's probably fair. We're going to look at harmful and destructive uh, things around us. Policies, procedures, whatever they may be. We don't do that at the expense of asking, well, who are we? Are we a people saturated in the mercies of grace of God? Here we see clearly, and let this serve as a warning, as shots are fired. Take our heart and say, here, okay, come right here. And we're going to see a glaring omission of God's people of not doing just that thing. And we're going to see it clearly. But this morning, let the challenge be, brothers and sisters. And, and I've been thinking about it all week, so it's your turn now. What are we so willing to say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand, that action's actually okay here because of X, Y, Z. We, ha- we have to be a people who are willing to say, Lord, here we are. We want to be changed. Another thing I think becomes plain in this text is that judgment extends to all. If you're with us this morning and, and, and you are not a believer, you might want to hear this clearly. Judgment extends to all. The Lord is sovereign and sees all things, and all things will be called into account. Yes, Amos is zeroing in to make uh, Israel wake up, but it's also reminding us that judgment extends to all. That first Peter quote that I gave you, you know how it ends? The judgment goes with God's house. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who, not, who do not obey the gospel of God? Will we see a glimpse of what that outcome would be? Lastly, let me make this one last point. Just like God gave Israel prophets to tell them truth and Nazarites to live holy. Oh, you guessed it. He gave us his son to do both as well. Jesus holds well the office of prophet, doesn't he? He does it very, very well. 
He does indeed and has already told us the truth. And in telling us the truth, he has told us the fate of those who reject God, those who reject him and his sacrifice. He has been plain. And as a prophet has called us to repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But not only was he a wonderful prophet telling us the truth, He's the only holy one in the fullest sense, isn't it? The one who did live a holy life separated from sin. Though he was tempted. Though he was tempted greatly to sin, he was without sin. This morning is not full doom and gloom for you and I. But because of our prophet, our holy one, you and I enjoy can say, all right, Lord, here's my heart. Work on me. In grace and mercy, we get to go to him and get worked on. In love, the Lord will be truthful with you and your heart. And I have to tell you, some of those crevices of our heart, they're hard to get into. But God's really good at it. His eyes are way bigger and he can see it. Brothers and sisters, let us be a people who are willing to start with ourselves and open our own hearts unto the Lord. Why? Because the one glorious holy prophet has come and has absorbed all that we deserve. If you're with us this morning and don't know the Lord, please grab someone afterwards. Let me pray for us. Father God, how wonderful and truthful your word is. How gracious you are to speak truthfully to us, to remind us and to make plain that what is perceived as wonderful and great just might not be wonderful and great. Father, it is worth every ounce of our effort to do what you say, that when you speak to listen and to open our hearts before you, we pray as a church that we would not be of people unwilling to examine our lives. Help us with that. Thank you that in Christ we can do that in joy, not overwhelmed with the ultimate crushing wrath that he endured. He absorbed it so that we now could go and live for you. So, Father, is in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.